Acts chapter 21. And I want you to mark that. Keep that. We're not going to start right there, but we're going to get there in just a minute. Acts chapter 21. We are continuing a series chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. And the last half of the book of Acts really could also be entitled, if you will, the life of the Apostle Paul. There's really nowhere in Scripture that gives us a more detailed uh, account of Paul's conversion and ministry like the book of Acts. And so I wanted to throw this out. I know many of you like to dig deeper and go deeper and do more on your own, and that's great. That's what we're all about here at the Oasis. So I wanted to share this with you. If you're interested in a book or a study about the Apostle Paul, the best book that I have ever come across on the life of Paul is entitled this, Paul, Apostle of a Heart Set Free. Paul, Apostle of a Heart Set Free. The author is F.F. F. Bruce, B-R-U-C-E. The reason he goes by F.F. is because his name was Frederick Fivey. And if your name was Frederick Fivey, you'd go by F.F. too. Actually, Dr. Bruce was one of the uh, world-renowned Greek scholars of his day. He died, actually, back in 1990. And uh, I actually was taught by the last Greek student that F.F. Bruce ever taught one-on-one. So uh, I, had, I had a great opportunity to, to work under someone that literally was taught by Dr. Bruce. So anyway, Paul, Apostle of a Heart Set Free. Great study on the life of Paul. And what chapter 21 is going to teach us is two primary things. The chapter sort of divides neatly into two parts. And the first part is going to share with us how Paul going toward Jerusalem and and being led by God to Jerusalem parallels the life of Jesus and how the things that Paul was going to experience were very much the same things that Jesus experienced. And as I began to think about that, these verses came to mind that I thought we should uh, keep in mind as well, uh, not only for this study, but for our own life. And so keep your finger in Acts 21. And let's first begin in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10 tonight. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10. I want to look at verse 24 and 25 of Matthew 10. This is where Jesus is talking about discipleship. And if you've been following my daily blog in the new year, you know that this whole year is going to be about digging into what discipleship is all about. And here Jesus is giving a a few uh, insights into uh, his perspective of discipleship. And notice he says in verse 24, a disciple is not greater than his teacher, nor a slave greater than the master. It is enough for the disciple to become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they defame the members of his household? Jesus is basically saying, if you as one of my disciples, you've chosen to follow me, you've chosen to walk the path that I have pioneered and forged ahead, then you should expect the same kind of treatment that I have received. 
And, and this is why it's so important that we as Christians head down that road of di- discipleship for this reason. Because if we don't, if we don't keep growing, if we don't keep maturing and, and becoming that disciple through our disciplined process of, of growing in the Lord, then we as a Christian can get to a place where as we start to experience rejection and mistreatment and pain and suffering, all of a sudden, we as Christians get disillusioned and it's almost like we didn't have that expectation of our Christian life. Why are we having to go through these things? Why are we having to deal with this? And then many people then quit that path of discipleship. Because they didn't stay on that road long enough to realize what Jesus taught. He laid out for us that if we're going to follow him as a disciple, then we're going to experience much of the same kind of things that he did as well. In fact, then if you go over to the Gospel of John, please turn there with me. John's Gospel, chapter 15. And look at verse 18. John 15, beginning at verse 18. Jesus says to his disciples, If the world hates you, be aware that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you do not belong to the world, but I chose you out of the world, for this reason the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Over and over again, Jesus had taught his followers, if you go down the same path that I went down, then you're going to have to expect the same kind of experiences. And the reason I wanted to share these verses is because it's exactly what we see happening in Acts 21. In fact, turn back real quick. I promise then we'll get into Acts 21. To Acts chapter 9 where Paul meets the Lord and and experiences conversion in his life. Even right at the beginning of his salvation, of his walk with God, God basically told him, look, you're going to suffer. Can I just tell you, Paul? You're going to suffer. In fact, I'm going to pick it up in verse 15 of chapter 9 of Acts. But the Lord said to him, go, he's talking here to Ananias, because the man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before Gentiles and kings and the people of Israel. For I will show him, verse 16, speaking of Paul, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Paul, right from the very beginning of coming to Christ, knew the road that God had determined for him. He knew it. And all through his Christian life, his life and ministry then was a preparation over and over again for the things that God had laid out that he would experience. And all of these things that Paul would go through was to advance the kingdom and advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. And no wonder then Paul had to walk closely with the Lord because if he ever got his eyes off of that... He'd be like a lot of followers of Jesus Christ today. Oh, I, I didn't sign up for this. This isn't what my life I wanted to look like and all that. Because again, for many people, even though they say they're following Christ, it's more about them and what they want and their will in their life than what God's will and what God wants and what God's desires are. And it's more about their kingdom and building up our kingdom than it is building up Christ's kingdom. 
So when, when God got a hold of Paul, it was, you know, right from the very beginning, Paul, this is the road I have for you. This is my will for your life. And, and you're going to have to suffer. And as we see Paul get closer and closer to Jerusalem again, then we see Paul experiencing much of the same things that Jesus Christ did. His life paralleled Jesus. And if you and I are going to be and continue to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not that we won't have, you know, fun times and great times and all of that, but at the end of the day, it's not going to be an easy road, Jesus says, but it is going to be a very fulfilling road. It's going to be a road like no other, but as Jesus said even in the Gospel of Matthew, the road that I call you to is a difficult road. And few want to go down that road. Many choose the wide road, the easy road. But if we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we've got to be willing to travel down that road. And Paul was. And so we pick it up in chapter 21 and verse 1 where he has said goodbye to his dear friends in Ephesus. And we learn here how close Paul was. His heart for his fellow Christians. And we're going to see that throughout this passage as well. He was always looking to fellowship with Christians along the way of his journey and to find and search out for disciples of Jesus Christ. So notice in verse 1, it even says, after we tore ourselves away from them, speaking of the, the leadership of the church at Ephesus, the word means to be wrenched away or drug away. It shows the bond that Paul and his team had with this group of Christians. It's the kind of bond, I think, that God wants to create amongst Christians. When even Paul says in Colossians that, that he prays that God would knit their hearts together. Paul understood what that meant because his heart had been knit together with other believers. And when they physically had to separate, it was like being torn away. It was like part of him was being left behind. That's the kind of relationships God wants to create with his people. Because this road of discipleship and following Christ is not going to be easy. And God doesn't want us to ever feel like we're alone. And we're never alone because He's with us, as we learned on Sunday. But also, God understands that it's good to have, you know, other human beings alongside of us as well, going down that same road. And that's one of the reasons why God created the church and calls us to be the church to each other. So that we can be there along life's way to mutually encourage one another. Because times are going to get hard sometimes. And we need to have each other to lean on and be refreshed by. And that's exactly what Paul's life and ministry was all about. The first couple of verses basically just talk about the voyages at sea that he was taking on his way to Jerusalem. We put out to sea, we began selling a straight course, we came to Kos, on the next day to Rhodes. By the way, Rhodes was one of the places where the seven, one of the seven wonders of the world was. By this time it was in ruins. And they went by Rhodes, and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia. We went aboard and put out to sea. After we sighted Cyprus, we left it behind on our uh, port side. We sailed on to Syria and put on at Tyre, because the ship was to unload its cargo there. In Paul's day, to get around on shipping was, was a sort of a, a roll of the dice. You just sort of had to wait for the ships and the weather and everything to cooperate. So it was just like, you sort of just, you couldn't make a lot of plans like you do today. You know, you buy an airline ticket, you go to Sky Harbor, you know pretty much 
at least usually, that that day you're going to fly out and you're going to get to your destination. In Paul's day to go by ship, it, it was, you just tried to do the best you could and got to where you were going to get as relatively quickly as possible. But notice this. After they finally got to Tyre, what did they do? They located disciples. They searched out for followers of Jesus Christ. And notice, they stayed there seven days. Again, Paul was always looking for disciples of Jesus Christ. And there were disciples all along his way so that they could stay with them. Again, that's why uh, the uh, gift of hospitality was so important, especially in these days when Christians, you know, there weren't hotels and motels. And and as they traveled around sharing the gospel and ministering, they, they needed to stay with disciples, not just for safety's sake, but for encouragement's sake, for refreshment's sake, if you will. And that's exactly what happened here. Now notice when they stayed there, that the Bible says they repeatedly told Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. Why? Because of the things that they knew that the Spirit had revealed to them that was going to befall Paul if he went to Jerusalem. When our time was over, we left and went on our way. All of them with their wives and children accompanied us outside of the city And after kneeling down on the beach, we started to pray. This is a precious time. Kneeling and praying is a uniquely Christian thing in in Paul's day. And, And the kneeling here, as much as the praying, has a lot of symbolism and meaning. It 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 means to come to a place of rest where you kneel down. But beyond that, it means to to lay something aside, to stop carrying something any longer, or to let go of something. I thought, what a precious picture for us. That there are times in our life as followers of God where we just have to, in a sense, kneel before God and we have to rest in Him. And we have to get to a place where we stop carrying the weight that we're carrying that God never intended for us to carry any longer. We've got to let go of something before we keep moving on. We've got to lay something aside. And that's exactly what they were doing here. Paul knew what was awaiting him in Jerusalem. And though there were other Christians warning him not to go, he knew that this is what God's will was for his life. Now, one of the things then we see at play here is this. It's certainly important for us to listen to the counsel, especially of godly Christians. That's biblical. But there comes sometimes in our Christian life, like with Paul here, where every other Christian and anybody who cares about us may be telling us, no, don't go, and we know God's saying go. And that's where we've got to ultimately listen to the voice of God, no matter how many other voices are saying no to us. Because ultimately, it's not about following them, it's about following God. And that's why we need to be hearing the voice of God, and sure, this is what God wants. And that's where Paul was in his life. No matter how, and, and the reason they were doing it is how, why many people do it with us and why we do it with other Christians. In a sense, bottom line, we're, we're, we're thinking of, of self and 
and we're thinking more of, of their physical well-being than we are the plan that God has for them. I mean, that's the reason why they didn't want Paul to go to Jerusalem. Well, Paul, you go to Jerusalem, you might be killed. Yeah, just like Jesus went to Jerusalem and was crucified. But that was God's will. And we've got to be careful that we don't put our own feelings and our own relationships above the will of God for us and for others. And that's where Paul was. They knelt down and they prayed. This also speaks to us about the dependence that Paul always had on God throughout his life. You know, when people pray, when they stop and pray, prayer is a is a sign that we are depending on God, that we're not trying to navigate this and do this on our own. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited again as we start this new year uh, of, of this new prayer team that's being assembled and of us raising the profile of prayer within our own church. Because it always is good for us to live in total dependence on the Lord. And one way we show people that we do that is when we stop and pray. And when we live a life of prayer... And when we're praying without ceasing, we're not trying to do it on our own. We are talking to God and depending upon God to do it. So the Bible says they went out aboard the ship and they returned to their own homes. Verse 7, we continued the voyage from Tyre and arrived at Ptolemus. And when we had greeted the brothers there, notice what they did. They stayed with them for a day. Notice through this passage, everywhere they went, they looked for disciples and they stayed there. They enjoyed uh, and, and appreciated the fellowship of other believers along their journey. Then on the next day, verse 8, we left and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven that we were introduced to back in Acts chapter 6. And notice here, and we stayed with him and his family. Luke informs us that he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Why does Luke tell us about that and doesn't tell us anything that they prophesied? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, though, they were telling Luke some things that they had told others about, and Luke just didn't feel inspired, obviously, by the Holy Spirit to include it. Verse 10. While we remained there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus, and this guy is like an Old Testament prophet because notice he gets very graphic. He's not just going to tell Paul and the others what he's getting from the Lord. He's going to graphically show them. He's, he's, a, he's a storyteller. So the prophet Agabus came down from Judea and he came and he took Paul's belt. He tied his own hands and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says this, This is the way the Jews in Jerusalem will tie up the man whose belt this is and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Again, a very graphic illustration about what awaits Paul in Jerusalem. By the way, the phrase the Holy Spirit says is equivalent to the Old Testament, Thus saith the Lord. It is the New Testament uh, Christian way of saying that when the Holy Spirit says something, He is just as much God as Jesus is and the Father is. And when the Holy Spirit tells us something, we better listen. We better listen. We need to learn to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit within us as well. God gives Him to us to indwell us. And the Bible teaches us not to quench or to grieve the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. 
So, he gives him and them this graphic illustration. And notice, verse 12, when we heard this, both we and the local people begged him, don't go to Jerusalem. This isn't going to be good, Paul. Notice Paul's response. This is important. Then Paul replied, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For notice what he says. I am ready. I am ready. Not only to be tied up, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul did not regard these prohibitions as, or I should say, he did not regard these human uh, beggings of not to go to Jerusalem as a prohibition from God, but as a forewarning from God about what would await him when he got there. The warning from the Holy Spirit was intended to prepare Paul, but not to ever stop Paul. Again, it was part of God's preparation. And we get this even from the word ready that Paul uses in verse 13. When Paul says, I am ready, this is an important word. It means, I have been prepared. And it also means, I have come to a place of willingness. So don't miss that. It's sort of a two-fold meaning. It not only recognizes that throughout my life, I am in a constant state of preparation because everything that God you know, brings into my life is to prepare me for what He knows is next. And as I said Sunday, it's like God continues to build our spiritual resume, if you will, throughout our life. So everything is a preparation so that whatever then is next, we could say like Paul, I'm ready for that. And the reason I'm ready for that, I'm prepared for that, I'm equipped for that, I'm fit for that, is because I've entered in to the path of discipleship. And I have went into God's training program. And God has fit me, equipped me, and made me ready. So that this is no longer some daunting task. I'm ready for this. I think to myself. How many people today. Let's not even put Christian there yet. How many people today feel very unfit, unprepared, not ready for what life is going to bring? And then let's take that a step further. How many Christians, if they were honest, would say, I feel very unprepared. I don't feel ready at all. I don't feel equipped at all to handle what I know life is going to bring. It doesn't have to be that way. If we are willing to go down the path of discipleship, God will fit us. He will equip us. He will make us ready so that when the challenges and difficulties and opposition and obstacles arise in our life, we can jump over those hurdles because God has prepared us along the way and we are ready. And then again, beyond that, there also has to be an activation of my will. Because like any Christian, I can see this opportunity, if you will, in front of me. I might even go, oh, 
I know with the Lord that I could do that, but I don't want to. I'm not willing. So when Paul says, I'm ready, he's not only teaching us that he knows that God has equipped him, prepared him, and fit him for this. He's also saying, I've come to a place in my life where it's no longer my will, it's God's will. It's what does God want. And doesn't that exactly mirror even what Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray and he said, you know, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then even in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he was wrestling with being separated from his father for a time in perfect fellowship, but even Jesus said, you know, if it would be possible that this cup pass for me, yes, but not my will, but whose be done? Thine be done. Yours be done. And that's exactly where Paul had gotten to. He had gotten to a place in his life where he was not just fit and ready, but he was willing. And that's where God wants to bring all of us to. To a place in our life where we not only feel like I'm prepared for this, I can face this with confidence because of what God has brought me through, but I'm willing to go through it, God. I'm not asking you, God, to help me escape it. I'm not asking you to help me go around it. I'm asking you, God, for you and me to go right straight through it. Because most of the time, that's the way God works. He doesn't remove things from us, even though that's what we want a lot of times. He doesn't take us around things. No, most of the time, he's right there in it with us. Think of the three Hebrew children that were Daniel's friends. God didn't save them from the fire, but he was with them in and through the fire. And that's the way most of the time God will work in our lives. Wow, what a challenge. Paul says, I'm not only ready to be tied up, if it means dying for the name, the reputation of the Lord Jesus, I'm ready. Are we ready? For whatever is coming our way as Christians in 2015? Are we ready and prepared and equipped and fit for what we're going to face as Christians and as the church in our lifetime? We can be. Because I believe confidently that whatever time in history God allows us to be living in, God, as we even said Sunday, will make sure that if this is His will, that He gives us, provides us, supplies us, furnishes us with everything we will need. The man of God, the woman of God, the person of God is totally equipped by God to handle everything that God will allow to be brought into a life. I believe that. But you and I have to be willing to do our part and enter into that path of being a disciple in order to, to, to grow and get to a place where we see things from that perspective continually and where we are being strengthened and growing stronger and all of that every day to where these things don't no longer intimidate us, but we confidently and unflinchingly face them. That's what God's looking to do in our lives. We as a church, I think again, we are, we are on the precipice and brink of a, of, a, 
of a new day within our church family. And we can be one of two things. We can, we can be like the Israelites and we can look ahead and we can look in there with, with fear and trepidation and, and we can start coming up with all the things like the Israelites did. Like there's giants in the land and, 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 and we can't do this and we don't have this and all of that. Or we can be like Joshua and Caleb and say, but God said he'll be with us. Let's go. Let's take the land. Let's gain more ground for God. One of two ways. The Israelites as a nation weren't ready to go into the promised land. They weren't prepared. They they weren't equipped. Not because God had lacked something, because they had not put themselves in a right place with God in their relationship with him while they were in Egypt. And that's why they had to wander for 40 years and let that generation die. Until this generation took that 40 years to get in shape so that when that opportunity presented itself again, they were ready to go in under Joshua and ready to conquer. And that's where Paul is saying today to us, That we should always be striving to be ready. Not just, again, fit and prepared, but also willing. Because notice what Paul says here in verse 14. Because he could not be persuaded, we then said no more. Can I? That's important too. Notice they just shut up. They stopped trying to beg Paul not to go. They literally rested, they were still, they were silent, they kept quiet. It's like, you know what? We're not going to talk him out of this. He's in the Lord's hands. We just need to rest and let this all up to God, which is exactly what they say. The Lord's will be done. That's the most important thing. That should always be the most important thing. By the way, the word done here means to be received. That's important. Let the Lord's will be received Not just by Paul, but by us. May we be willing and receptive to whatever God's will is. Just like Paul. God wants to bring us all to that point. He wants to bring us to that point as a church. He wants us to be brought to that point as individuals. Where it's not about my will or anybody else's will, but it's just about your will, God. Your will be done. Your will be received, God, in my life. May I be willing to do what you want above everything else. So that's the first part of the chapter. We haven't even got to the second part yet. But the second part isn't going to take us quite as long because I'm not going to go verse by verse through this part. It's not really necessary. You can read it, obviously, for yourself. But here's what happens. They finally get to Jerusalem. And Paul obviously is there not only to give the gift that he's been collecting from all these churches to the saints in Jerusalem, but he's there for a very strategic reason and uh, in redemptive history, if you will. And that is to, to show that as a nation, the Jews are going to reject Jesus Christ as their Messiah. 
And even though Paul is being used by God to reach out to them, and God gives him one more opportunity to sort of speak to the nation who are in Jerusalem during the feasts, and, and, and there's an overflowing of population, and there's many people there, ultimately, they reject Paul, and they reject his message of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to see this. If you go, where do I want to pick it up here? Let's pick it up in verse 30 of chapter 21. The whole city was stirred up because people had stirred up the city against Paul. They didn't like what Paul was teaching and and what he stood for. So they seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple courts. Immediately the doors were shut. And while they were trying to kill him, a report was sent up to the commanding officer of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion, literally thrown into disorder. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to the crowd. And when they saw the commanding officer and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commanding officer came up and arrested him and ordered him to be tied up with two chains just as Agabus had prophesied. He then asked who he was and what he had done. But some in the crowd shouted one thing and others something else. And when the commanding officer was unable to find out the truth, because of the disturbance, he ordered Paul to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, Paul had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For a crowd of people followed them, screaming, Away with him. Now, this this word doesn't just mean physically remove him. These words mean to do away with Paul. It means to kill him. It means to destroy him. And doesn't it again parallel what we heard when Jesus had been brought before Jerusalem as well? That the same people who had many of them been on that road as he rode into Jerusalem and said, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord are now saying, away with him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. And guess what? Paul was experiencing the very same rejection because he stood up for Christ and because he stood up for the message of the Word of God. The officer replied, do you know Greek? And then, You're not the Egyptian who started a rebellion and led the 4,000 men of the assassins into the wilderness some time ago. And Paul answered, no. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. Please allow me to speak to the people. Express my soul, what's really important to me. Now, can you imagine? These are people who've just torn him apart, who've beat him, tried to kill him, want to kill him, and yet he still wants to take an opportunity to speak to them about Jesus. What a heart. Because again, for Paul, it's no longer about saving his own neck or preserving himself or whatever. It's about reaching people for Christ. It's about, it's about sharing the most important thing that he could possibly share with people because that's what the word express one soul really means. Even though the Greek 
is translated into the English speak in verse 39. It's a profound word. It means to express one's soul. It means, what would you say if you had one moment to say the most important thing you could to another human being? What would that be? That's what this word means. And that's what Paul wants to do. He wants to seize this unbelievable opportunity that God is giving him here. And so the commanding officer in verse 40 had given him permission. Paul stood on the steps. I mean, the the scene would have been dramatic. Thousands of people would have been in Jerusalem at this time. They've all tried to kill this man. And now all of a sudden he stands on these steps before, before them all. He gestures the people with his hand to quiet the crowd. And when they became silent, he addressed them in their own language. And next week, we're going to see the message that Paul brings to them. And it's a powerful message of his own conversion and the work that God has done in his life. And we can learn so much from chapter 22. But I want to leave us with this thought tonight. Paul always knew that he would go to Jerusalem. God had given him that insight. And he had come to a place that regardless of what he would have to face and what he would have to go through, if this was God's will, then he was going to stay true and faithful to God and to God's message no matter what happened to him there. And because of that, God was going to give him a great opportunity, an unprecedented opportunity to speak to thousands of his fellow Jews right in Jerusalem, where just a few years earlier, Jesus had been crucified. And Paul now stands at the fortress of Antonio and he begins to speak to the people. Folks, he didn't just get to that point by chance. He didn't get to that point by being passive in his walk and in his fellowship with Christ. He got to that point and he was given that opportunity by God because he spent his whole life every day from his conversion on the road to Damascus to this point, letting God prepare him and fit him and equip him and make him ready for that moment. And here's where I want to encourage you. God may not ever ask you to speak about Jesus in front of thousands of people. But God does have plans to use you. And He wants to use you in greater and greater ways. And the way each of us will be ready and fit and prepared and equipped to seize those opportunities when they come and be willing to do them, is by doing the little things that we should be doing every day. And just letting God, little by little, prepare us, equip us, get us stronger, strengthen us, so that when those opportunities arise, we can be like Paul. We can say, I'm ready. Even if our family and friends and fellow Christians are saying, no, you don't want to do that. 
if you know God is calling you to do something, then we need to be like Paul. His voice alone needs to be the one that guides us. And we need to be like Paul and say, I'm ready. I'm not looking at what I'm hearing as a prohibition. I'm not going to let it stop me. I just know that what people are saying to me is another way that God is preparing me for what I'm going to face. And I know that if this is God's will for me, He will give me His grace and everything else that I need to remain faithful to Him, even unto death. That's what we learn from the life of Paul here in Acts chapter 21. Let's close in prayer. As we close in prayer tonight, let me ask, right here tonight, before the Lord, do you as a follower of Jesus Christ feel like and believe that you're prepared, you're fit, you're equipped to deal with life as it is right now? And even for what is to come, the unknown that lies ahead. If you answered or could answer, yes, I, I believe I'm ready. That's important. That's huge. And all I would say to those of you that were able to answer in the affirmative, then just keep doing what you're doing. Keep walking down that path of growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because the day you stop, is the day we all begin to regress and lose the ground that we've gained. For those of you here tonight that would say, I feel very unprepared, very unfit. I don't feel ready. Then here's what I want to encourage you with tonight. I want you to be encouraged with this, that tonight, can be the first step of changing how you feel. That it's not going to happen quickly. But that God, if you enter into His training for your life, and you just do the little things that you know as a believer that you are to do every day and every week and every month, that in time, God's going to build you up. God's going to strengthen you from within. God's going to fit you and equip you and prepare you so that you get to a place where, like others, you're ready. You're ready. God, I pray tonight that all of us would would strive to be ready like Paul was. Not only believing, Lord, that we have been prepared for this moment, but also, God, that we are willing to follow whatever your will is for our life. God, go with us this rest of this week. Use us, God, to proclaim you to the nations 
and to those around us. Glorify yourself through our lives. And continue to grow this church, God, so that we can be a great lighthouse here in this community. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. God bless you. We'll see you next week.